It's Daily Thunder, thundering out the truth of Jesus Christ live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more about our discipleship programs or to support this podcast, visit ellerslie.com. Now, here's Eric Lee. Good morning. It's the Monday edition of Daily Thunder, and we are enjoying a strange snowstorm, uh, which I, according to my, new, my weather app is supposed to just last for a couple hours and then be gone. And the end of this week is like gorgeous. You know, it's like trying to figure out weather in Colorado is, is quite something this February. But it's beautiful out. And so uh, it's fun having uh, us all together for this sort of cozy daily thunder today because it's really nice in here. But uh, we're going through a series on World War II and if you've missed the previous ones, I would highly encourage you to go back through and listen to this series. It's been a very uh, unique and powerful series. It's just, it's unusual. I think most of us would probably think, what could you get out of World War II that would actually change my life spiritually? And yet, uh, this has greatly impacted me. Uh, yesterday's message still may be one of my favorites. Uh, what is wanted is a man. I think that was what it was called. Not, to me, it was just like, it was the language of my soul yesterday. Very special for me personally. This one is uh, part 10, and it's called Air Superiority, which uh, if you are familiar with World War II, that would actually make some sense. If you're not, then it's like, what in the world is it talking about? Uh, in all previous wars, uh, airplanes were not really a factor. And in World War I, they became something of a factor, but they didn't really know how to use them yet. And so they're exploring. They're like doing uh, reconnaissance and trying to figure out you know, what the enemy's up to. Uh, welcome, ladies. And so they were used, but they didn't quite have the depth of uh, impact that you're going to see in World War II. And in World War II, I would say that... Uh, Hitler is going to come to the conclusion that the fastest thing that he can build out of all the military instruments and devices is going to be airplanes. And the most effective thing that he can build are airplanes. And so he's going to spend most of his resource building up an air force. Great Britain and Winston Churchill is going to recognize that the greatest battle is going to be in the skies. And if they do not have a defense to Hitler's air force, well, then there's sitting ducks. And if you ever want to understand the term sitting ducks, this would be it. If, if they have Air Force and you cannot stop it, they're just dropping bombs on you all day long and you can't do anything about it. So you can imagine this becomes a huge issue. And the problem is Winston Churchill was entreating uh, the House to actually invest in uh, military developments, especially Air Force uh, developments. We need to build airplanes. He said, if we do not build airplanes, in uh, two years, Hitler will have just as strong of an air force as we have. Well, those two years passed. And if we don't start building airport, airplanes, Hitler's going to have a greater air force than we have. And Hitler had a greater air force. And so as a result, I don't know if it was uh, sort of like two to one, it was, but it, was, it wasn't that extreme, but it was air superiority, where Hitler actually had dominance in the air. This was a huge issue. Because when France fell, which we've, we've gone through, the fact that uh, Germany on May 10th of 1940 is going to invade Holland, Belgium, and then sweep into France. France is on the other side of the English Channel from Great Britain. So now we have Germany lining the coastline, 
staring across uh, the coastline at Great Britain. Now, what's interesting is for over a thousand years, no one had been able to land invade Great Britain, even Napoleon. No one had been able to pull this off, right? Hitler is scheming. And so he has something called Operation Sea Lion. And they are going to actually cross the channel and invade on land Great Britain. However, before he does that, he is going to wear them down. He is going to bring a blitzkrieg, and he is going to fly his superior armed force, his superior air force, over Great Britain and bomb London. Boom, 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 and until they finally just set up the white flag and say, "We give up." What he didn't expect is what was going to happen, and that is, the more he bombed them, the more the English rose up and defied. It's a very fascinating study. It's called the Battle of Britain. But my purpose for focusing on this today isn't necessarily just to talk about the Battle of Britain. It's to actually introduce you to the Battle of the Air. Okay? It's interesting because we are going to see a reference to this very concept. There weren't airplanes back in first century Christianity, right? But it's interesting because Paul the Apostle in Ephesians 2 is going to talk about controlling the airwaves. So it says in Ephesians 2, 1 through 2, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Now imagine if I read it just a little differently. According to the prince of the power of the air force. In other words, when you understand an air force, you understand, okay, yeah, it's like planes and... Uh, fighter uh, jets and bombs and yeah you, you can understand that right but when we talk about the prince of the power of the air it's like huh eh, that, that doesn't mean a lot to us there's this territory they have the higher territories the heavenlies and then what they oftentimes understood as jews is you had this word for air which actually is like air it's air is actually the word for air and it's this lower dimension that we live in okay in the prince of the power of that air that's what we look at as oxygen but it's this territory in which the jews would say that's where the fallen demons are going to live and that's where their war is going to be waged and so jesus is going to come down into that territory into this air and he is going to breathe it with us and he is going to engage in a battle and he is going to be victorious and dismantle the air force of the enemy and he's going to give us the tools to keep it dismantled. Now, the same is going to happen in World War I, is you're going to see the Allies are going to be victorious, and they are going to defeat the Germans. The Germans are going to have their air force completely dismantled. That was one of the requirements of the Versailles Treaty in 1919, is that the Germans had to dismantle their air force. So they did. The Germans have no air force. So how in the world did they build the greatest air force in the world? Well, it's because good men did nothing. We've covered that. In the very first session we had, it was called the Follies of the Victors. And though we have victory as Christians, we allow the enemy to rearm. We allow him to sneak around and to stealthily do things that he shouldn't. He has no right to do it. But when we as Christians who have weapons do nothing, well, then the enemy will do something. So the name of the uh, German Air Force is the Luftwaffe. 
and I don't speak very good German, and, and some of you could say, aren't you German? Yes, but not in the classic sense where I came from Germany and I grew up speaking German. So the German Luftwaffe, at least that's my I guess. Does anyone speak better German than me that can pronounce that better? Yes? Luftwaffe. That sounded, just, that sounded similar, right? That did sound very German, I have to admit. Good job, bud. You see, there is a tremble that comes in the soul when you hear the German, German Luftwaffe uh, begin to come. And what do you hear? You hear a buzzing. You hear a hum. It's like, listen, your death is near. You see, when they're coming, they win. These guys are unstoppable at this point in the war. I mean, everywhere they've gone, they're just dominating. They, they bring terror wherever they go because no one has a defense against it. And their next destination, Great Britain. This isn't good, guys. I mean, this is a, this is a dire, dark moment. And so I'm going to call it the forbidden voice. You know why? Because it's forbidden. They're not even allowed to build this Air Force. And here they have it. And this is, it's not just that they have it, but now it seems and appears stronger than the voice of, uh, the, uh, voice of uh, Great Britain. So, I mean, this is like, this is dire situation. So I'm going to give you the answer to what we'll call the evil hum. You know, that uh, hum of the Luftwaffe is the Royal Air Force, the RAF. And what's interesting is though they had less uh, air, uh, planes and pilots, they actually were superior in the air. And these are Spitfires. And the Spitfires were a superior plane, and they had superior pilots. And as a result, even though they appeared weaker, just follow me on this, even though they appeared weaker, they actually ended up gaining dominance. So it's, it's quite a good story. It's not what we're going into, but it is an interesting uh, thought. So it's called the Battle of Britain, which happened in the air, which, you know, in, in history, it's hard to come up with a parallel to a battle that it was entirely in the air, and this one was, and it was actually a long one. Look at the bottom. It's July 10th, 1940 through October 31st, 1940. That's a long time, and the whole while it was in the air. So uh, the most prolonged and complicated air campaign in history. Now what's interesting about that is if we were to talk about the battle in the air in your life, okay, there is a hum. There is an enemy that wants to intimidate you. And he's a whisperer. And he says, listen to me. I mean, just even the word listen is just extremely fascinating. You have this enemy, and we all know the Nazis are symbolic of the powers of darkness. I mean, even demonically controlled. It's a, it's a wicked regime. I'm not saying everyone in, in Germany was wicked. I'm saying that leadership was wicked. This is a very complex battle. And if I were to say, just take every thought captive to the will of Christ Jesus. Well, that sounds very simple. It's a complex battle that we are in. And that's why we can so easily stumble through it. Because, okay, we know we have weapons. We don't know how to use them. If I gave you a plane today, and I, it was a Spitfire, and I said, this is superior to the Luftwaffe. It's superior, guys. So fly it. You're like, um, what's a plane? <laughs> how do you even turn it on? How do you get it up in the air? How do you shoot with it. I mean, uh, there's, and that's, that's very similar to Christianity. If you're not discipled in how to fight the air battle, well, your plane sits on the ground, and what does the enemy love to take out in an air battle? I don't know if you've ever studied them. The first thing they want to take out is the planes that are on the ground. When Germany's going to attack Soviet Russia, it's going to be a surprise attack. You know the first thing that they attack? 
the Air Force of the Soviets. They're going to take it out and now have air dominance. I mean, that's just part of the strategy. Take out the enemy's aircraft that he doesn't know to use. You have a superior air force. You have the Holy Spirit. You have the word of truth. As Jesus says, it is written. Boom! Spitfire. In other words, the enemy cannot respond. However, if your spitfire is down on the ground, the enemy's going to take it out. So as a result, we need to learn how to gain air superiority. So the results of this Battle of Britain, which is, I'm not going into it. I know some of you are like, come on, go into the battle sides of these things. My whole point is to teach us something, not to just uh, uh, give us, you know, just historical facts, even though they are interesting. This is a long battle, okay? For me to go into all the details would take up far more time than we have. But the results... Operation Sea Lion was foiled. You see, the enemy was going to try and break Great Britain to soften them, to get them to want to give up, and then they were going to invade on land, which is a very, very difficult thing to do in Great Britain because they're an island. And, I mean, that's why for over a 1,000 years it hadn't been done. However, Hitler believes he can do it. And yet, in the end, he never did it. It's an operation that actually never happened. I mean, it's an elaborate operation too, and it never happened. Why? Because Great Britain's Air Force defended their continent, their country. Listen to Winston Churchill. This is a great statement. He's talking about the uh, Royal Air Force. Never in the field of human conflict was so much owed by so many to so few. The secret of controlling the air in World War II was of the essence. Because once they begin to control the air, then they begin to go on the offensive. And if Great Britain doesn't start to go on the offensive, this war never ends. They have to somehow take it to the enemy, but they have to gain confidence that they have air superiority. The same with you, by the way. Until you gain air superiority in your life, it's very difficult to take the offensive in your life. The enemy will get you back in a corner, and you'll be uh, just in your fetal position, you know, struggling to try and fight off. No, no, stop, stop, stop. Instead, instead, you rise up and say, it is written. And the devil goes, oh, no. You see, when you know how to fly that Spitfire, it is superior to that Luftwaffe. So how an air campaign works, the enemy hums in hopes that you will listen. You see, if, if you're hiding out in a basement in London, living in fear, you're not much of a threat to the enemy. You have to admit that. And this is how the enemy works. He wants you cowering before his voice instead of recognizing that you have not just an equal strength, but a greater one. Greater is he who is in you than he that is in this world. And the weapons of our warfare are mighty. They're not of this world. They are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. So in this time, there's something called the Fire Brigade. So I want you to begin to translate this from Great Britain and Germany and all, you know, Luftwaffe and Spitfires into your own soul and to recognize that in this tale, you're Great Britain. And the enemy wants to take you out. He wants to silence your military strength. He knows that you stand against him. You've sided with Jesus Christ. And so as a result, he has to deal with you. 
And you know, he has limited resource, so just like in any military campaign, so he has to wield his resource strategically. And so he deems you a worthy threat. So take it as a compliment if the enemy ever starts humming in your life real loud. He deems you a worthy threat. And so as a result, he wants to cow you. He wants to silence you. So in the process, they would send down these bombs, these what would be called incendiary bombs, which are going to create uh, fire. Okay, that's the goal, is that they would not just hit, but then they would explode, and they would burn down everything that is burnable. Okay? Well, welcome to the Christian life. The devil doesn't just throw thoughts. He throws thoughts with explosive power in them. You know what there were thoughts that aren't just random like, there is a chair. That's, that's a neutered, non-impacting thought, right? That's not going to harm you in your life to think, there's a chair right there. However, there are, there are ideas that actually have consequences. Like, are you sure you can trust the word of God? Are you sure that Jesus will come through? Are you sure he will keep his promises? See, these are incendiary bombs. It's different. It's a thought that actually has flame attached to it, that has an explosive element to it that can knock down walls in your life. And so they actually built, in Great Britain, fire brigades. This is pretty cool. I mean, it sounds fun to be a part of a fire brigade. These guys would literally stand on rooftops when bombs are falling. They would have their little tin cap. I'm sure that helped a lot. <laughs> they had special uniforms. And they would watch for incendiaries. And if, a, if one hit and there was an explosion of some kind, they would immediately go into action to douse the flame. Isn't that just an interesting thought? A fire brigade. You see, imagine if you had the same watchfulness and the enemy is seeking to devour and he drops an incendiary, yet you know what to do. You know how to apply the word of God to it. And so there's actually a fire brigade in your soul that is putting out these lies that are attempting to gain a foothold. So dousing the flames produced by the air attack. So Winston Churchill talks about these. Large-scale systems of training were developed to teach the fire watchers. Isn't that an interesting statement? The fire watchers. How to deal with the various kinds of incendiaries which were used against us. Many became adept and thousands of fires were extinguished before they took hold. The experience of remaining on the roof night after night under fire with no protection but a tin hat soon became habitual. That's a pretty noble job, to stand on a roof when bombs are falling around and watch. And it's, I mean, there might not even be a better description of what it's like to be vigilant is what the scriptures say. Be vigilant, be watchful for your devil, for, the, for your enemy uh, is, is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Be watchful. It says be watchful. Wear your tin hat, guys. Get up on the roof of your soul and watch. So the name Civil Defense Service was substituted for the pre-war title of air raid precautions. Good uniforms were provided for large numbers and they became conscious of being a fourth arm of the crown. They started to have the dignity that this is a military maneuver. This matters. And so as a result, you're like an arm of the military. You're an extension of the king's will in this country. So be noble, be strong, be courageous, stand with your tin hat on top of the roofs and find those fires and put them out. I mean, if we were going to look back on World War II, most of us don't think of the guys with tin hats on the top of the roofs of London as being the great heroes. Uh, but, you know, many of these guys actually died. 
There's, also, there's going to be future ones where bombs go and drop into the city but don't go off. So they're like live bombs and they need to be dealt with. So there's this entire force that is going to, there are teams of like four that would go in into where live bombs are and attempt to defuse them. And they would, you know, this one group was like legendary and they did like 40 straight, just fearless going in on the like 41st and they died. But this is, and even how Winston Churchill talks about them, the amount of lives that were saved because these men were willing to risk their life was astounding. And I mean, just you think of the nobility of what we as Christians are called to do. Isn't it a fascinating job description to think, would you like to be trained how to defuse a bomb? Why are you asking? <laughs> Why would I want to know that? <laughs> because we have bombs all over this city that have to be defused. Would you be willing to go in and risk your life to nullify that lie. Whew. I mean, this is good stuff, guys. I mean, this is an entire nation being attacked through the air, and they are strategically learning to address these problems. This is exactly what we need. London could take it. This is a great statement. They took all they got and could have taken more. Indeed, at this time, we saw no end but the demolition of the whole metropolis. At the time, London is the largest, most sprawling, most populated city in the world. And it's like a sitting duck underneath this attack. And, I mean, every night it's being hit. And at that time, the only thing they saw as the end, because they did not have the defense enough for it, was that the entire London was going to be just a pile of rubble. And that, yet they defied it. It's like, I don't care if London is a pile of rubble. We will not give in. On the night of November 3rd, for the first time in nearly two months, no alarm sounded in London. The silence seemed quite odd to many. They wondered what was wrong. On the following night, the enemy's attacks were widely dispersed throughout the island. And this continued for a while. There had been another change in the policy of the German offensive. They would have done much better to have stuck to one thing at a time and pressed it to a conclusion. But they were already baffled and for the time being, unsure of themselves. I mean, when I read that, I was like, okay, I can, I can relate to that. One of the tactics that will always teach Christians is just hit back. So the enemy will hit. If he senses a stalwart resistance, he will find another tactic. And so if you're getting hit in a specific area over and over and over again, the key for you is to not bend, but to keep hitting out. The, the way that I liken it to is like a pitcher in baseball keeps pitching. And you keep hitting home runs. Every time you swing at it, you do not relent. You keep swinging, 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 swinging. Eventually the devil is going to give up on that particular pitch. You see, if you keep hitting home runs with it by resisting in the name of Jesus, the devil will change up his tactic. You see that happening here. Winston Churchill is saying the best thing the devil, or the devil, yeah, that's not that far off. The best thing Hitler could have done in this is to keep hitting London to wear them down, but the devil's like, this isn't working. I just said the devil again. Hitler is saying, this isn't working. And so as a result, he is going to change his tactic. And he's sort of right. He was making the British uh, island stronger with every hit. And they're more resolved, more resolute. So let's get this guy. And as a result, you see the enemy, though, changing his tactic. And if you want the enemy to change his tactic on you, Resist consistently. The reason he will hit you over and over again is because he's guessing that at a certain point you will relent and you'll say, okay, all right, yeah, I can't just keep fighting. Oh, yes, you can. 
So you keep standing your ground. You keep resisting in the authority of Christ's name. So the vigilant Christian, the word vigilant means watchful. The vigilant Christian is what we could call the fire brigade. You guys are a fire brigade. You have a tin hat and everything. I'm sure it's better than a tin hat. It's called the uh, helmet of salvation. It's like made of solid diamond, right? Nothing could actually get through it. Dousing the flames produced by the air attack. So there are going to be incendiaries set upon your life. And they are thoughts that have consequences. And if you allow those thoughts to land, to explode, and then to burn in your life, you will find that they will actually begin to turn you. And they will contort your Christianity. They will eventually undermine your city of London, if you will. And so for each of us, we need to have, in a very simple sense, either our hose that is uh, full of living water that we can douse the flames with, or you can picture a bucket, which is probably a little more accurate maybe, that you carry your bucket with you always that is full of the water of the Holy Spirit, the water of truth, to be able to douse every flame. So the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 6, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not of this realm. They are not earthly. They are not of your own manufacturing. But they are mighty in God. For what? For pulling down strongholds. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Now I could read that different and I could say for putting out every fire that that incendiary bomb creates. You've been given everything you need in Christ Jesus to douse that flame. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. That's a very aggressive and strong passage. You know, we have passages that talk about being struck on one cheek and turning the other. We have ones that, you know, are going to show such mildness of manner, such gentleness of behavior. When someone opposes you, respond to them with gentleness. Mercy triumphs over justice or judgment, right? And so what you see is this is talking about how we handle the enemy realm. There is a human realm that we respond to with love, patience, and kindness. There is a spiritual realm that we are going to respond to with hostility that is desirous to burn out our life and our confidences in the truth. And we need to douse that with the truth. It is written. What does Jesus say? Put it out with his word. So uh, any of you have ever, that have ever heard me teach on the thought life, I always break up the thought life into three domains. So I'm going to put one over here because I always put the bad stuff over here, right? And so, uh, and I'm going to put the Luftwaffe over here. And you notice that I put one of them over there, you know, just because, you know, that feels about right. What do we have in the other one? We have four planes on the other side for the, uh, the Spitfires for the Royal Air Force, right? Because think about this. When, when Satan rebelled, he took with him one-third of the angelic host, right? So that means God has double the angelic host, okay? So, uh, I mean, that's, that's sort of ridiculous if you think about it. And then he has himself. 
God. So if you were going to be a betting person, you were going to bet on God with double the angelic host or the enemy with half of the number uh, of, of demons. I mean, it's illogical to vote on behalf of the devil. However, he's a loud mouth. And so as a result, we have a tendency to listen to his hum and be intimidated. We, have a, we, we see what he's done to the Rhineland. We see what he's done to, uh, to uh, I can't think of what it's called, Austria. We think of what he's done to the Sudetenland, to Czechoslovakia, to Poland, to Denmark, to Norway, and now to Holland and Belgium and France. And there's a terror. Fear is the enemy's plan. If he can get you to fear him, to think that he's all that, you have a tendency to give way. And so we're going to divide up your thinking into three parts. You have the hum over here, okay, on the left. So if you're listening to this via podcast, I'm on the stage and I'm on my left side of the stage. And this is the domain where that which is attempting to come into our mind, that which is presented to our mind, we can call it suggestions, are going to be. The hum, and that's why I'm putting the Luftwaffe over here. It says, listen to me. Okay, now there's other things other than the devil that come to our mind. God can speak to us too, right? So it's not all negative stuff that's over here. However, what God is telling us to take captive is not his word. It's not the voice of truth. It is the voice of the enemy. And so as a result, when this hum comes, we need to know how to respond. Now, in the middle, you see Great Britain, right? And so this is what is being attacked by the Luftwaffe. And this is you, your soul, your thoughts. And so you have a consciousness right now. You're thinking about something right now. Isn't that a fascinating thought? And I could say, what are you thinking about? And hopefully it's what we're talking about right now and not the fact that, yeah, you know, he was talking about that chair earlier. I'm just still fascinated about that chair, okay? Hopefully you didn't get distracted when I said, uh, talked about the chair. And so this is what is present in your mind right now, okay? Then over on this side, you see the Royal Air Force. And it looks, you know, I'd, I'd vote in favor of that, by the way, guys. It's superior. Even God's word says it is a greater force. Greater is he that is in the Royal Air Force than he that is in the Luftwaffe. Uh, do you guys like how I'm pronouncing Luftwaffe, by the way? I think it sounded similar to the way Adam did. Uh, don't, don't you, Adam, do you think it sounds similar? <laughs> okay, guys, so as a result, what I'm going to liken this to is your longer-term memory. This is your mind, you know, that needs to be renewed. These are all your experiences, all your thoughts, all your images that you've taken in. This is your belief system. I'll oftentimes call it the pantry of your mind. So this is where you, you, know, you store everything. It's like your warehouse. Okay, right now, when you're thinking in the present tense, I'm in the middle of the stage for anyone that is uh, listening to this via podcast. In the middle of where I'm thinking right now, what, I'm not thinking everything I've ever learned in my entire life is not in my brain right now. But it's there, right? But it's on the shelves. It is available for access. And so here's our problem is a lot of us do not have truth in our pantry. And so when the enemy comes humming over here, we do not have a Royal Air Force that is ready to fight it. We do not have the truth of God's word that is superior. And if our planes are on the ground, well, guess what? He's going to get into this territory, which is the, for those listening on podcast, the middle territory, our present tense thinking. And if he can get there and cause us to meditate upon that which is untrue, it'll slip into our pantry and get on our shelves like poison. And it will actually rot away our confidence in truth. But 
If you build a strong royal air force, if you build a strong reasoning in the truth of Scripture, it's called the renewal of the mind. It's called the mind of Christ. It's called the helmet of salvation. If you learn to think God thoughts, you learn to meditate upon truth, Paul says, think on these things. What's he saying? He's not saying, think on what the Luftwaffe is saying. He says, think, think about what God is saying. Think about what you should do in this exact moment. Think about what you know to do. You were trained as a pilot. Now get in that seat and take off and take down that thought. This is discernment. Discernment comes from right here. And so as a result, when this hum starts, you turn on the engines of your Royal Air Force and you take off to meet it at the door. You do not allow it in. So imagine that there's a door. See that black line there that divides uh, the Luftwaffe from Great Britain? Imagine that that's a door. Don't open the door. Instead, meet it with your Royal Air Force. You have the truth of God's word. Put it in its place. So the more you know God's truth, actually the stronger you are in your air superiority. You have air superiority as a Christian. But that doesn't mean you've learned to fly the plane. It doesn't mean that you have wielded your air superiority. And if you leave your planes on the ground, I guarantee you the enemy will take them out. So as a result, for all of us in here to learn how to gain air superiority, to recognize that God wants to train us how to handle his word, there's nothing quite like wielding the word of God against the enemy. And I don't know how many of you have ever tried it, but where you have, for every key point in your life where the enemy is hitting you, get rock under your feet for that point. So that when the enemy hits, what you begin to do is immediately give the truth of the word of God. You have a royal air force. For every one of his planes, you might as well get four scriptures, right? And just blast him out of the air. He has no business haunting you. He has no business sticking you in a basement. So stick on your diamond hat and get on the rooftops and take him down. Start putting out these fires. He has no business making you a plaything. Great Britain is not going to be subdued by the Luftwaffe, no matter how loud their hum is, no matter if some of their bombs seem to go off and create some havoc, respond. Respond with discipline and honor. So this is going to be, I'm going to say, it's Solomon writing, right? He's saying Solomon is writing to his son. This is Proverbs 1. Now, if you read Proverbs 1, it is going to introduce us to what it's about, right? I went through that in actually the second uh, installment of this series. Uh, but it's interesting because it's going to give a very tactical maneuver to the hum of the Luftwaffe. It's going to basically say, look, the enemy is going to try and bait you. He's going to say, hey, come with me. Let's lie in wait and let's stand against the truth. The enemy is going to try and bait you to his side to go with him. So I'm going to say Jehovah is speaking to us via Solomon. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. You know, that sounds so basic. <laughs> Here it is, the most complex war that exists, right? And I'm going to bake it down to such a very simple thing. When you hear the hum, shoot it down. Do not consent to it. Do not let it fly over Great Britain. You see, there's a statement by Martin Luther uh, years ago. You cannot keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from making a nest in your hair. 
if you see that bird attempting to nest, attempting to drop a bomb, take it out. The enemy will speak. Even if you have your Royal Air Force, he'll still try. But that doesn't mean you do nothing. My son, my daughter, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Do not walk in the way with them. Do not agree with their fires. Keep your foot from their path. Listen to this. Turn at my rebuke. When you know that something is wrong, turn from it. Do what you're supposed to do. If you're leaving your Royal Air Force on the ground, turn from that behavior and get it in the air again. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. Listen to this. Whoever listens to me, remember what the Luftwaffe even means? Listen. The enemy is saying, listen to me, listen to me. And God is going to counter that by saying, whoever listens to me will dwell in safety. Hey, Great Britain, don't listen to the Luftwaffe. Whoever listens to me will dwell safely and will be secure without fear of evil. I mean, how that is paralleled in World War II is profound. I mean, just almost shockingly profound. Don't listen to the hum of evil. Listen to the word of truth. Father, we are your people and we need to know how to wield the strength of that Royal Air Force. We need to know how to install the scriptures in our own pantry, how to meditate upon things that are true and right and to control the air. Lord Jesus, forgive us for failing in this and letting our planes get taken out, for not standing on the rooftops with our bucket of water ready to put out the incendiaries. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would strengthen us for this battle, that you would make us mighty for this war of the air. And Lord Jesus, so that we can win in the realm of thoughts and ideas. That the word of truth would reign supreme. Lord, may we know the truth, heed the truth, follow the truth, and may it set us free. We want to listen to your word, not the hum of the evil one. It's in the precious name we pray. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily weekdays at 8.15 a.m. and weekends at 9.15 a.m. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellersley.com. Thanks for listening.